have a crack. He is, you know. Oh, and they! Brilliant! The run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern, and I'll be in the dugout for this episode. I'm joined by first team regular Peter Henry. How's it going, Peter? Evening, lads. And we're also joined by super sub Anthony Kelly. How's it going, Ant? All right, lads. How are we doing? And not too bad. By, by the time this podcast goes out, actually, there might be a, a nice, lovely asterisk next to Liverpool's name on that table. I've said all along, mate, I'll take that asterisk. I'll take it and run with it, mate. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, every week we induct a new member into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. And this week's inductee is former Chelsea and France libero Frank Leboeuf. Now, uh, Peter, I mean, it, it, you know, he's he's one of these players that has probably been forgotten in the annals of Chelsea history because of all the success that followed immediately after he left. So maybe inform people who aren't aware or can't remember what type of player he was and what stood out about him. Yeah, well, he would have arrived in, I think it was about 96 to Chelsea, just when Chelsea were starting to sign all these kind of, you know, aging superstars. He wouldn't have been in that bracket, but they were signing players like Rude Hullet, Viali, Gianfranco Zola. And we've said it on the pod before, but Chelsea really turned from this kind of mid-table, you know, Premier League club into real cup specialists, a kind of team that could beat anyone on their day. And, and, crazy because of what transpired and, you know, Abramovich coming in and, and a lot of people having a lot of hate, hate towards Chelsea, but especially on their runs in Europe and things like that, they, they really became like almost like everybody's uh, second team. And, and LeBuff in particular, like I would have been kind of, you know, early teens at the time and obsessed with football. And I could, I'd honestly never, never seen a player like him. He was a centre-back, but... You know, we were used to the big cent, like the best centre backs being players like Gary Pallister, Tony Adams. This guy, in my head anyway, he 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 approached the game almost like an attacking midfielder. Loved to bomb forward into midfield. He was spraying passes. You know, defence splitting passes. He took penalties. He took free kicks. He was actually he was an exciting player to watch. Like you don't normally say that about you know centre backs. Even in the modern day, like you might say, you know, Virgil van Dijk or, or Rio Ferdinand, you can appreciate watching them, but they're not actually exciting to watch. OK, they're enjoyable, but they don't get you kind of on the edge of your seat. And the buff really did. He was, you know, he was flying into midfield. Like, it's like, you know, when you, used to, you played for a team and you were in a training session and one of the centre backs would fancy himself as a bit of a, a bit of a ball or a bit of a tacker. So in training, he'd be making these runs up the pitch and firing off shots. But once it came to the matches, you know, he'd do his job as a defender. It was like Frank DeBuff. He just wanted to be involved in everything that was going on in the pitch. And I'd just never seen anything like it before. And I think a lot of, of English football fans w- would be the same. Now, I was looking, there's not a whole lot of footage um, of his time at Chelsea. And I was trying to figure out is this idea kind of maybe a bit convoluted in my own head? But one of the articles I, I read last night, they, they mentioned the Chelsea's fan song to him. And 
song for him and it was like he's he's here he's there he's fucking everywhere frank labeouf which kind of gives you an idea of like you don't associate that with a center back being all over the pitch you know so um like scored some absolute crackers like i said he was he wanted to be on free kicks he wanted to be on penalties he wanted to be making assists and it was just the complete opposite of of anything we'd um we we'd ever seen before in english football well that i'd ever seen and obviously part of a chelsea team that was just so exciting to watch they weren't really threatening at the top of the league but like i said they could beat anyone on their day and they as we'll get on to it they were very much the kind of cup specialists in the kind of late 90s and then obviously he had uh, you know he won the world cup with france and the euros which is which isn't bad to have on the cv at all absolutely not well in in the 90s anyway scouting was obviously going well beyond just scouring the local playing fields and and Europe was becoming a real happy hunting ground for the big Premier League clubs and Frank LeBuff was one of those players to be picked up after being spotted playing for Strasbourg and and they were you know a mid-table league league one team had done pretty well uh, during uh, the time LeBuff was there so but I mean they they unearthed themselves a real gem there didn't they He's actually quite an interesting sort of backstory to his career because he was struggling to find a club in France. And again, probably a sign of of the times back then. He actually put an ad out in like one of the one of the local sports journals, um, saying like he was a a young midfielder. He put his height and his weight in, and he was looking for a second or third tier club to sort of go on semi professional or professional terms. And he was playing sort of around the Alsace region of France, which is why he ended up at Strasbourg eventually. But, you know, he really was sort of like playing his trade in, you know, the the sort of the backwaters of, of French football for a long time. So when when Strasbourg picked him up, it really, as you say, it was sort of unearthing a bit of a gem. And he helped them get promoted to the, the first division. And they, they finished eighth in the first tier. And then they almost went on to win the French Cup. I think they would be by Paris Saint-Germain. And you just pipped to the cup there with, with him in the team, and they they, they end up winning the Intertoto Cup, and they, they had quite a bit of a successful era, you know, by their own standards. And I think that sort of put a few of their players in the shop window. And I was surprised to see because obviously it was you know, as, as Pete mentioned, it was Ruud Hullet at Chelsea at the time, and it was that sort of exciting continental era. But it was actually Glenn Hoddle scouts who, who unearthed him. Just I think, I think it was just just after Euro '96 or around that sort of time. And um, I think the deal was pretty much done, or Chelsea pretty much registered their interest by the time Ruud Hullet was was put in charge, and he got him for two point just over just over two and a half million. One one hell of a fine because he, he he did as Pete says he he was probably the most sort of cultured defender to join the Premier League at his time from transferring from France. Yeah, like you said, he was a cup finalist in nineteen ninety five. Uh, they did go on to win the prestigious Intertoto Cup, um, <laughs> and uh, then in in '96 he reached they reached the uh, UEFA Cup last 16. So not bad for I mean a club now that you know they they're not a massive club, and so they had that little run there. But the one thing I couldn't believe when I was looking up Frank LeBuff, you know, I, I did a quick skim of his Wikipedia page to start off my research and. It said that he had 48 goals in 189 appearances at Strasbourg, which I thought, like, okay, this is Wikipedia being wrong here, surely. But I checked up another source, and it seems to be correct. That's just absolutely mental that he scored that many goals as a centre-back. Um, and I suppose that's what caught the attention of Chelsea, uh, to whom he moved for £2.5 million in 1996. And A lot of money wasn't... back then. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the catchphrase. <laughs> Put it on your T-shirt and find that on the footballfaithful.com. Um, <laughs> he went. He wasn't as prolific, but he scored 24 goals in 206 appearances uh, for Chelsea, and he had a pretty successful period there, Peter. Yeah, very much. Like I think it, it kind of segues in well. Ant was saying, or you were saying as well about where all of his success throughout his career came. It was in cup competitions, and you know he never won a league title, but like he has a a trophy cabinet that would be the envy of of most professional footballers. And yeah, it was such an exciting time for Chelsea. Like he would have sought kind of, you know, when he went there, you know, I was reading interviews that he gave and he said like when he arrived at Chelsea, like the, the training facilities, even compared to Strasbourg, who you were saying were a small club, were like an absolute joke. It was like a container and a field, you know. And then obviously by the time he'd left, I know Abramovich hadn't come in yet, but like, you know, you, you see the players that Chelsea had already started signing, the Zolas and and I think Deschamps was there as well at that time. There was, you know, it, the Premier League, the money had come in, everything. Even Glenn Hoddle had said when he'd taken over at Chelsea, the first thing he had to do was buy the kit lady a, a new washing machine. So that, he, LeBuff would have kind of saw that kind of morphing of English football into this kind of, you know, worldwide product that that it, that, it, that it became and yeah like you look at it you look at it as just the trophies he won like he won the, the FA Cup twice he won the like 1998 was some year for Frank LaBeouf you know he won the uh, UEFA Cup Winners Cup the Super Cup which I'd say is his favourite medal of all and then he goes and wins the World Cup like he was actually he, sorry he'd been a substitute right the way through the the tournament it was Laurent Blanc and Marcel Desailly in the center center defense for France and then Blanc got sent off he was involved in the clash with Slavin Bilic Leboeuf came on for the last few minutes of the semi against Croatia and then he started and funny enough you were saying about his Wikipedia page Steve it says that he man-marked Ronaldo out of the game in the final um, I think we all know that's true. Not true. Um, yeah. You know the stories of Ronaldo being sick. Yeah, what a year! And then you know he he's a sub right the way through the World Cup. You know historic. France's first one, the Rainbow Nation on home soil, and you know just the way the year was going. From the other centre back gets sent off, and right at the end of the semi final, and he gets to come in and and uh, and play and, and and get his get his winners medal because I think if you get a winners medal it's always great to have a winners medal but to say you actually played in the final just must be absolutely um amazing and and funnily enough and you know as we'll get on to very you know he's very much one of these kind of free spirits he's gone on to become an actor and doesn't even seem too bothered by the fact he he won a world cup like if I had a world cup med- winners medal it'd be in in the hall of my house, and it wouldn't matter if you'd been in my house a hundred times, I'd still make you stop and look at it and tell you stories about it every time you were coming in. So the fact he doesn't even know where his winner's medal is just kind of plays into the whole, you know, this kind of Tespian French dude who just, he was really good at football, but he wasn't really that bothered anyway. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a famous video, isn't there, of the kind of French defenders in a training session ahead of the final and talking with one of the coaches and he's saying, Oh, you know, Ronaldo, he does this thing where he fa- he faints one way and then he, he goes on to his right every single time. So be ready for that. And then Toram and Marcel Desai are like, you cannot like, what are you talking about? Like you cannot like defend this guy and like talking about the kind of various ways to like try and, and stop Ronaldo, Ronaldo. 
and I think you know, like you like you mentioned there, it was kind of didn't matter in the end because for whatever reason Ronaldo wasn't one hundred percent. But and I mean his international career lasted from nineteen ninety five to two thousand and two. And if you forget the two thousand two World Cup, I mean there probably wasn't a better time to be a regular French international, really. It was a phenomenal team uh, that the French had back then. And um, obviously, it, it's. I remember the, the 1994 World Cup, but France 98 is probably the, the, the best one I remember from when I was a kid. And I remember like the, the, the buzz around that entire tournament. And the, the, the French team was gathering momentum as they went through, and they had so many exciting players. And obviously, uh, LeBuff Le was, as Peter was second fiddle to, um, to Ram and Blanc and Desailly, who are, you know, three arguably three of the best defenders in the world at the time and uh, for him to actually forge and get 50 caps with that kind of competition shows you that he was you know very highly rated and very highly regarded I, I always think it's actually you know Pete mentioned before about getting a winner's medal and actually playing okay Ronaldo wasn't 100% fit in the final but it shows you that what kind of personality and mentality he had that he was able to step in and slot in straight away to that team, you know, replacing such a big character like Blanc. I mean, you know, he's a massive central figure in French football, not just the national team, but in French football itself. Laurent Blanc is a legend. So to to come in and, and, and replace him for the final takes a lot of nerves. And he, he, he was talking about it himself, saying that, you know, had they have lost that game and had the Brazilians targeted him and he made a couple of mistakes, it would have all, the narrative could have been LaBeouf's cost in the final. So it shows you that he felt the pressure of being in that, of being in that situation. But on, on the pitch, he had a really good game. Um, on the day, I remember he played really well. And, you know, for, for him to, to go on and get 50 caps with that kind of competition around him shows you what kind of professional he was, you know. Absolutely. Well, he was he was he was a Chelsea player at the time of uh, that tremendous success. Peter, what were some of the standout moments you remember from his his Chelsea time? Like the idea of, I I had in my head of Frank Buff is kind of a general one, as I just kind of said at the start. And I really struggled um, more than I think on any part so far to to find footage of his goals, of you know of his general play. Normally, there's some kind of compilation. I couldn't, I couldn't get a whole lot. Like I, I remember when Chelsea bet United, there was one kind of pass he played over the top to Zola, and then I, I can't like the, there was a grainy video on YouTube of a short corner routine when it comes out to the side, it, it, you know they they work it out to the edge of the box and he, he spanks one into into the top corner. I couldn't even make out who it was against. So unlike so many of the other pods where I go, there's this goal and that pass and such and such, it's it's really more of, of, of a general memory I have of him. But having, you know, there, there is a few articles out there and stuff. And I definitely think my general idea wasn't too far off the mark. I do think in many ways he was probably a bit similar to, to Laurent Blanc. Um, because Blanc has a crazy record for scoring goals as well, you know. These kind of defenders that we never would have seen in English football. You said Libero. I think that's a kind of good way to, to describe him in a way. Like he was always itching to be involved, to, to break into midfield. And like I said, the Chelsea song saying he's everywhere kind of sums up that kind of attitude he had to the game. Very, very much a free spirit. But yeah, I, I can't, as I normally do, you know, after watching a lot of highlights. I can't really reel off uh, countless countless goals and passes and stuff this time, I'm afraid. He was actually quite an impressive character, though. I mean, like, it, 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 he got a baptism of fire in, in, in the English game, didn't he? You know, he, he made his debut against Wimbledon 
which I imagine coming from the French League to, to play in Wimbledon in your first game with Vinnie Jones is like chalk and cheese. And he was caught out a few times early, early on in his Chelsea career. And I think that sort of recovery and the adaption to the English game, again, shows you that he, he was a guy who was adaptable and, and wanted to sort of learn the, the English League. And at the time, the Premier League was evolving from the sort of Division One-esque you know, sort of Stone Age type football in a way to this sort of new continental approach. You know, we've we've talked about the number tens and like the, the you know the, the players arriving from abroad in the early days of the Premier League. You sort of change the attacking game, but I think LeBuff is one of those sort of uh, trailblazing defenders who came in at that time for Chelsea and really sort of really sort of changed a lot of perceptions about how defenders could be because he, he was quite quite cavalier in his approach and despite the fact he was sort of getting all around the pitch and bobbing up everywhere, he played in some really watertight back fours for Chelsea. And, you know, I remember in 98-99, in they only conceded 30 goals all season um, with him and Desai at the back together. Uh, they only actually lost three games in the league that season as well. So, OK, they, they, they were a very good cup team, but they were actually maturing and evolving on the pitch as well. And I think having a player like LeBuff in the team was, was clearly, you know, a, a massive help for that. You know, strangely enough, he was his real set piece master, wasn't he, Peter? Like, because he scored a lot of penalties and and free kicks, and not something you usually see from your centre back. No, I I don't know why, but an image of David Luiz kind of flashed into my head when you were when when we've been talking as well. But he was kind of like a David Luiz, but without all the brain farts, if, if you know what I mean. And <laughs> um, there's no doubt that he was kind of. He was he was massively distrusted, um, you know, by what we call now pro- proper football men. Like centre backs, just aren't supposed to be doing that. But you know, you talked about his, his goal scoring record with Strasbourg. He, he like he, he just he wanted to be involved with everything. And I think I think his, he would have probably scored more goals w- with Chelsea C if the likes of Zola and that had had a, hadn't a came in because. Listen, there was no way he was getting a free kick off Zola, you know, or a penalty or or whatever it might be. But it was, yeah, just to to see a defender being able to to ping a, not not just set pieces, but to like ping and passes around the pitch. That his technique was just top drawer. Like for me, he, he really he had the the, the complete skill set that you'd require almost from from an attacking midfielder, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But he also. And possessed the qualities of of a proper centre back as well. I mean, there were doubts about him at the beginning adjusting to British football, but he very much got to grips with it quite quickly. I think. Yeah, he did, and he, I remember him being a very good reader of the game because I, at that time, um, being a Liverpool fan, we had like a absolutely abysmal back four and. I was always very envious of Chelsea having the likes of Desai and LeBuff at the back, because uh, they do they, they were so they were so composed at times compared to the likes of Liverpool, who could be so cavalier and so leaky at times as well. But he actually forged quite good partnerships before Desai with the likes of Dubry and Steve Clark and people like that. So they were a bit more sort of you know your your more traditional English British football centre halves who who probably helped. LeBuff with that sort of transition from French football but actually if you look at modern football now the the tendency is to have one sort of standoff defender and one go-to defender who's a bit more of a a break player like um, uh, Liverpool have got Joel Matip now who can he's very good on the ball Virgil van Dijk's an excellent footballer but Joe Gomez is the good sort of hold 
and you know sort of sit back defender and, and, and allow that other guy to get forward with a bit of composure at the back. And I think, as I said before, about him being a trailblazer, I think if you look at them both doing that, it is the sort of the foundations of that going into English football. So he's actually probably quite an important figure for the way Premier League defence has evolved during that time. Yeah, I, I still, I, I definitely agree with you, Ant, to to a point on that. But I think there was a lot, you know, the European defenders were technically better than, and they still are. Let's be honest about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of their ability to play out from the back, how comfortable they are. Are you saying John Stones is up there with the very finest Liberos? <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Stones is a bit of a David Louise, let's be honest about it. But with, with LeBuff, there was even, like I said, you're right to a point, but with LeBuff, there was even, he, he was just such a free spirit in that. He was doing things that are even, you know, you would say a really good centre-back who's good in the ball, who steps into midfield. This lad was... Do you know, like, if your team's 5-0 up, right, and your centre-back will play a pass forward and he'll follow it and keep going and you'll get behind it. Frank LeBeouf played every game like that. He, he, was, he was even, he was to the extreme, I think, even of what, you know, a young me thought it was amazing. An older me, once I start playing football and understanding, I'd probably be going, this lad's a lunatic. You know, he's going to, call, you know, <laughs> get back and do, do, do your job, do your primary job first. Um, he, he just... He just had this, there was a, a bit of, a, yeah, there was a bit of craziness to his approach as well. Like I said, he was just all over the place. So I agree with you to a point, but I, I think he just took it to the extreme as well. Yeah, to max, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, he was a very assured person. And I think he was, he definitely had a, a certain amount of calm at the same at the same time you know like i don't i don't think you ever got the impression really that he was flustered or that he was crazy or, or anything like that you know what i mean like he he seemed very i don't know on his uh you know he had both feet on on the ground you know yeah no right right as well it's kind of a yeah it's definitely an interesting one i suppose if he had the ball at the back he he was very calm to play it out under pressure he didn't need to to dive into a challenge, say. He was happy to like kind of shepherd a man to wait for his chance, didn't need to go to ground all the time. But I just kind of mean in, in the fact that, you know, he would like bomb forward even when it was in the middle of a tight game quite often. Definitely didn't play with that same abandon with France, I don't think, as he did with, with Chelsea. But maybe when I'm saying cra- crazy, it's, it's more of kind of a... a yeah, abandoned and crazy. They're quite similar things. Not to say that he was flustered when he had the ball at the back and it's that he couldn't defend. It was just the fact that he just wanted to be involved in everything. Like he was almost, and I think as well, because he was bald, he was so noticeable on the pitch. Um, it just felt like he was just involved in everything, whether it was your t- your side defending, then he was running up to join in tax, he was crossing, he was take you know, like you said, taking set pieces. It was just a, it was like the the Frank LeBuff show, um, I think right at the start when he came to Chelsea, because when he joined Chelsea first, they were still a very much um, you know, that that influx was coming, but like his first centre back department or partner was Steve Clark, you know, the Steve Clark who's been on the coaching circuit for a long time now. Very, very old school kind of British defender. They had, you know, Craig Burley would have been one of their main attacking midfielders. And obviously that kind of progressed to then they had, you know, these aging superstars coming in. But the first couple of years at Chelsea when he was in with the kind of that British core as well, it, he just he just stood out for me anyway as just 
this kind of defender that I'd never seen before that I didn't even think was possible. Yeah, and he had a, he had a couple of good centre back partnerships as well in his first season. He was alongside Steve Clark, so there was a bit of kind of chalk and cheese going on there. Steve Clark was obviously you know your kind of old fashioned English kind of centre back, and then after him, then he partnered with Michael Dubry, and then after that, he was paired with his uh, French international partner uh, Marcel Desailly, which kind of feels like it's like going from like. You know, Michael Dubry, Marcel Desailly, it's like going from like Tesco Value to like Gucci or something like that. It's like that's such an upgrade right there. But in his final season, he actually right from the off, he was, you know, in, in the doghouse where he criticized manager Gianluca Viali. And Viali then was gone after a few weeks into that season. The fans kind of turned on him. Uh, that was kind of the end for him then. Uh, you know, that season was it. And he was eventually replaced by a young uh, John Terry, whatever happened to that guy. And um, yeah, it kind of, I don't know, not, not a great way to, to go out. And to, I suppose he didn't, he didn't really have a kind of like a, cele- a celebratory last season or anything like that, despite all the success he had had at the club. He's a funny one because I think we've, we've touched on it with everything we've said. He, he's a bit of a contradiction, a contradictory personality as well as a player, because he's a very cerebral guy. When you see him interviewed, there's, you know, he, he, he speaks very intelligently and, um, you know, he, he, he is into the arts. He, he, he did a, a speech to the Oxford Union, one of the few footballers who's ever done that. Uh, he, you know, he had a column for the Times and he, he, he's a very, very cerebral guy. But then at the same time, he was quite, you know, he had a bit of a fiery temperament on the pitch sometimes. I remember him stamping on Harry Kuehl, which was very unpleasant at the time because Harry Kuehl was one of the, the bright prospects of, of English football at that time, coming through at Leeds. And it was a bit of a coming together. He ended up getting banned for that, for that challenge. And he ended up spouting his mouth off to the press about uh, Viali and how he was getting players' backs up and he wasn't getting on with players. And it, it's sort of almost um, at odds with the kind of um, personality you see in interviews and the way he sometimes comes across as quite languid and softly spoken and quite inoffensive chap. But then he's making comments about how he'd never seen such terrible conditions, such terrible training conditions at Chelsea and Viali wasn't getting on with anybody and... You know, Chelsea had a terrible start to the season. That season ended, they sacked Viali. And I remember it being quite big news at the time because it was almost like the end of an era, right the way through from um, um, Glenn Hoddle to Viali. There was a, an indelible link through that team from um, from Hoddle's as well. And when Viali went to, you know, the great cup winning era, and as Pete said, they would do a lot of a lot of people's second team at the time. And it was a bit, a bit of a shame, really, that Viali had gone with him being such a charismatic manager and um, I, I don't think it ended, you know, it, it was the kind of end you would have had in mind for such a popular play with the Chelsea fans as well. So he ended up going out on a bit of a, a bit of a whimper in the end. So a bit of a sort of tempestuous uh, exit in the end there for him. Yeah, he also kind of like f- fell out with <laughs> a lot of the English public in general after a kind of a quiz show debacle. What happened there? Yeah, he went on um, the 90s sport panel show, If I Got News For You. No, sorry, If I Got News For You, sorry. Uh, they Think It's All Over, um, which was sort of lads talking about sport for half an hour on a, on a Thursday night. You know, But he, he went on yeah. it on in the aftermath of winning the World Cup. And the story goes now that the show's directors and producers had said to him, just come up with the quip, I don't care, I won the World Cup after almost every line. And, you know, good enough as a good sport. He was saying it, you know, he, every time there was a question put to him, they were 
they were making some mocking comments about him being French and typical sort of English attitudes to the French, you know, typical stereotypes. And he would just sort of, you know, sort of shrug and smirk it off and say, I don't care. I won the World Cup. And for some bizarre reason, you know, maybe people didn't understand irony or they, they took him too seriously. Um, he, he became a bit of a figure of fun in certain sections. And I think even the, um, they think it's all over. Pundits like Matt and um, Matt Hancock and people like that were saying, "How can you take him seriously? It's just a, it's just a TV quiz show, you know." So it was a bit bit of a bit of a sort of silly mountain out of a molehill issue, really, which probably sort of summed up a lot of silly attitudes at the time from certain sections of the media, which sadly haven't changed much. Probably twenty years later, you are a scar fan when it's not winter. Like, what do you expect? He's a cultured man, Peter. He's a very cultured man. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> you like no, opera, like, you Malone. <laughs> they like properly stitched him up the whole like arrogant French Frenchman stereotype there, didn't they? Like, yeah, really they stitched did. him up. They kept saying things like, "Oh, the French have got no word for baguette, have they?" and stuff like that. That was the kind of highbrow humor that was uh, getting fired out <laughs> in the BBC back then. <laughs> so, following his retirement from competitive football, I mean, this is one of the things that we've we've had a bit of an interest in talking about on the pod is his post football careers and you know he's he's done uh, bits of uh, punditry here and there i think he works for espn at the minute but he he basically went to become an actor uh, peter he even spent two years living in los angeles to to live out the dream as they say yeah played for uh, hollywood fc hollywood which, united i think which... hollywood fc is bayern munich here <laughs> okay sorry hollywood united Sorry, Hollywood, Steve, sorry, if, ex, if the people at Hollywood United would be very angry with us if we get that wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, know, I, you don't want to piss off those ultras on Twitter. They could go crazy. But, um, you know, like <laughs> Vinnie Jones, Jason Statham. Yeah, kind of any of that kind of... You think even Woody Harrelson plays for uh, Hollywood United. He played there for a couple of years when he went to study. But interestingly enough, supposedly up until he was like kind of seven, eight years old, all he wanted to be was an actor. And just because yeah, his father right. was a his father was a coach, he kind of got it into him. But he said his, his lifelong ambition was always to, to be an actor, basically. So, you know, Eric Cantona followed a, a similar path Janola's done acting like, you know, that kind of idea of that French player, that flair kind of player that was kind of into the arts and all that we had in the 90s. He's, he's one of a couple others that definitely kind of his next career move went that way. Um, not, that I, not that I'm saying it's a bad thing or anything like that. I'm just saying he did have that kind of that air of someone what, that was brilliant at football that but wasn't too bothered. He was actually in the Stephen Hawking with Eddie Redman. Yeah. Eddie Redmayne, what's... Um, yeah, the it was the theory, the theory of everything, yeah. If, if people, yeah, like, for those who have watched this, he is the doctor who basically gives the diagnosis to Stephen Hawking that he, you know, that he has the condition that he has he, and that he only has, like, years to live, if even. Spoiler alert, spoiler oh, alert. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Ant. Sorry. <laughs> Frank the Beef killed one of the world's greatest ever minds. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Steve? <laughs> he tried. He tried. <laughs> he tried. Yeah, no, but that like that's a pretty big it's a pretty big like that was a blockbuster might be a strong word, but like it was a, a pretty major movie. I think he's done a lot of kind of theater work as well because you know, Frank's obviously dedicated to to his craft, so he does the theater as well. 
fair, fair play to him, but yeah, if you're going to wear the cravat indoors, Pete, when, it, when it's yeah. when it's not cold, then you're going to be in the theatre, aren't you? As well, I think that comes with the territory, doesn't it? Yeah, it just plays into this idea of this guy that was just just a bit too cool to, for school that he's he's gone on to be, to be an actor now. But he does, yeah, he does quite a lot of punditry work for um, ESPN, which I think was one of the issues when I was looking for when you're looking for kind of footage of him and stuff on YouTube, it's constantly his punditry work, you know, instead of him, you know, back when he was in action. Uh, Frank LaBeouf, or Frank the Beef, as it uh, translates, he is uh, the only player, as far as I'm aware, who, with a World Cup winner's medal and to star in an, an Academy Award-winning film. And he is now also uh, the only person to have those two honours and be in the 90s Football Hall of Fame. Right, up next, we've got a quiz. This quiz is brought to you by Football Index. You can get a £20 bonus uh, when you use the code FF20. That code is FF20. Right, lads. So this quiz is a little bit different. This one's going to be on the French World Cup squad of 1998. So what I'm going to do is, in turns, you will name a member of the squad. If you get one wrong, then you lose your life. And then the next person has to get it right. And so if you, you, you know what I mean? You see what I'm getting at? Do you understand? Do you, yeah. do you get double points for obscure players? No. You, no. Leave, you leave that panini <laughs> sticker book in the drawer. Keep the panini, don't keep the panini sticker book away. Not allowed to take it No, no, Pete. <laughs> okay. Peter, I'll let you go first. And so Just yeah, name, player, name player any player. The there's there's twenty two players. Yeah. And uh, I'd be surprised if you've got through all of them. So and if you get no. one wrong Essentially, it's kind of sudden death situation, basically. Okay. Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry, would you believe, was a member of the uh, France 98 squad. Ant, you up next? Yeah, I will go for Bernard Diomede. Oh, Bernard Diomede. You're going, you're going for the real <laughs> obscure ones straight off the bat. <laughs> Liverpool legend Bernard Diomede, mate. <laughs> I thought you might save them for later, but anyway, Bernard Diomede, he is, in fact, Thierry Henry was number 12 and Bernard was number 13. So you're obviously just going numerically, I see. Yeah. Yes. All right. Peter? Lillian Thuram. Lillian Thuram is correct. And? Marcel Desailly. Marcel Desailly, of course. Peter? Vicente Lizardo. Vicente Lizarra Zoo was in the squad. Number three, famous defender. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, Dugari, Christophe Dugari. Christophe Dugari was in the squad. Number 21, later played for Birmingham, of course. Peter? Didier Deschamps. Didier Deschamps, he was the captain, of course, of the team. And? Uh, I'm going to go for... Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira, number four, of course. He was only 21 at the time. I keep forgetting that. He was very young when he played in that World Cup final. Yeah. Uh, I just and, got distracted uh, I, uh, by I just got distracted by Chelsea scoring. What? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. I'll go for his uh, midfield part midfield partner, uh, Emmanuel Petit. 
Emmanuel Petit. Yeah, he was number 17 playing for Arsenal at the time. Scoring the final, I believe, I think. <laughs> You're doubting yourself now. <laughs> and? Have Chelsea scored? They have, <laughs> they have scored, yes. Christian Pulisic. Right, okay. What a goal. Unreal run on the counter. That's... Let's accelerate this quiz, chaps. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for... Oh, I don't know if we've already said them. Um, I've kind of lost track. Uh, Emmanuel Petit. Have we said Petit to Petit team before? Uh, he just said yeah, Petit. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a life car. Ah, oh, bugger. I thought you said the Champies. Bloody hell. I'll go for Ro- Robert Perez. Robbie Perez. Uh, Robert Perez. He was, in fact, number... 11 on the squad. I'm amazed now. So, Peter, Peter you win because, uh, Ant, you just, you pissed away your, li- your life there by going for Manuel Vizier. Oh, do, you only, do you only get one, one life? Oh, bloody yeah. I, would have, I would have tried hard and I didn't know you only got one life. <laughs> Can we keep going now? Yeah, let's keep going. All right, we'll keep going. We'll see, we'll see how many of you get, how many of them you can get right. Ant, go ahead. Trezeguet, David Trezeguet. David Trezeguet was, in fact, uh, only age 20 at the time, but yeah, he was, uh, in the squad, uh, Peter, yep. uh, Christian Caranbill, what a player that I barely ever you, you saw. One of them players that no one really ever saw play, but used to go, Yeah, he's class, he's class. <laughs> yeah, but well, he was at Real Madrid at the time as well. And who, who are you going to plump for next? Um, it's hard not to say Christian Pulisic because I'm, um, hang on, let's have a look. Who did you have now? Oh, Bartes, keeper, Bartes. Fabian Barthez, he was in fact number 16 in the squad, uh, playing for Monaco. Fabian Barthez was in the team. Peter? Yeah, uh, absolute a Bolton legend, Yuri Jorkaev. Jorkaev. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He was playing for Inter Milan at the time. And? I'm going to go for Lizarazu. Don't know if I pronounced that right. That's another one that's already been said. Yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, if we were keeping score, it would be 2-0 to, to Peter. Peter, what do you say next? Um, I'd be amazed oh, if you guys get the whole one. The, fe- the fella who played for Newcastle and he was absolute shite. Um, <laughs> Gavarsh, Gavarsh, something like that. I don't uh, know. His name. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll give it to you anyway. Stefan Guivarch. Oh, Guivarch, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. And... Who's next? Have we said Zidane Zidane, the great Zidane? We have not, amazingly enough. It's taken 15 players for us to get to Zidane Zidane. <laughs> I mean... Sorry, lads. I, I can't believe Zidane Zidane was still on the board when you got two basically incorrect. Well, not incorrect, but ones that had already been said. But, Listen, uh, that diet meat had to come first. I'm sorry. It's just... Oh. It's just... <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, I think... Um, I think I'm... Uh, I'm this is... Possibly my last. I, the goalkeeper Lama. Bernard Lama. Yeah, that's correct. Ah, oh, there's going to be a fair goalkeeper here. We're going to be here on. I'm trying to get him. <laughs> Let's have a think. Um, well, we haven't said Labuff, have we? Frank I know. I was just literally about to say you haven't said <laughs> <laughs> the guy the pods about. <laughs> Has Laurent Blanc been said? Uh, Laurent Blanc. Uh, no, he hasn't. Yeah, okay. Still going, still going. There we go. Uh, not very many lames left. Um, it's down to me now again, isn't it? Um, 
Yeah, there's only three players left in the squad. So oh, he's doing very well. Vincent Candela. <laughs> that was off the top of your head, was it, Ant? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 got he, he's been googling. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, chaps. <laughs> Peter, there's uh, two names left on the list. Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, I, one play- I think there's one player you might be able to get. Who he at the time he was playing for Sampdoria. Um, Sunes. No. No. I'm done. No, I can't uh, think of anyone. The, the final two were uh, Alan Boghossian, I'm sure I've said oh, that yeah. wrong, and uh, Lionel Charbonnier, who only ever had one cap for France. Ah, Charbonnier, Jesus. Sell that, and that's, that's the wine they do in Aldi, isn't it? It sounds like something you'd say when you're playing cards, when you're in a card game, Charbonnier, or something. You play <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think uh, Peter took that one. And that's the end of our episode. If you enjoyed our show, then please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at footyfaithful underscore. And you can find more football content on thefootballfaithful.com. And thanks a million for joining us today, lads. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, lads. And thank you, Ant. Always a pleasure, lads. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The anthem of the French Republic is now a signal for another revolution. The overthrow of football's ruling power is at hand.